the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to episode three of The Thrill of the Hill. You're joined by Alec Perry and this afternoon I have David Eady on the line. David, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. For those listening, um, David is a woodlands consultant based out of the southwest. David, do you want to give an overview of what it is that you do within your your role as a woodlands consultant? Um, Basically, I cover everything uh, forestry related from new plantings through to felling through to replanting areas that have been felled. Good. And what is your range within Scotland, David? Um, obviously, you're, you're based out of the, the Auchincrove office here in the southwest, but, but where in Scotland would you would you service? I cover the area from the Firth of Clyde down to the Solway coast and across to the M74, where a colleague, Stephen Adler, takes over, and to the north, uh, my colleagues, Leona and Malcolm, take over. Good. David, we've we've brought you here today to the the Thrill of the Hill podcast with the hopes of you discussing the the potential um, on uplands on on the farmed upland environment for for woodland planting, woodland management, and and why woodland is an important component of of the farmed upland environment. I'm just going to start off with a, a kind of broad statement here and get get your your thoughts. It was something I heard a long time ago, and it's always kind of stuck with me that. Trees are, are just like any other agricultural crop. The only difference is the length of the rotation. What are your initial thoughts on that? And do you see trees as, as just like any other crop, like spring barley or, or wheat? Yeah, thanks, Alec. If it's a commercial crop, they are pretty much just like an, any old crop. I've heard it from many farmers before when they've planted areas of tree they just consider it as a long-term investment and rotation crop. The advantages of Trees are, though, that potentially you could have livestock grazing underneath them in the long term mm-hmm. and other aspects, benefits. Um, so there is, it's not as straightforward as just a barley crop or oats. Mm-hmm. And would it be fair to say, my perception is that there's always been a bit of conflict between agriculture and, and forestry. Do you think that's kind of sorting itself out? Are we getting to, to a happy middle ground? Um, or, or do you think there's still a, a discussion to be had there? Going back, forestry policy always extends back to just after the First World War, where the Forest Commission was started in 1919. And part of the realms was that forestry had to be on land other than that could sustain agriculture. And so that is how, over the time, you got a lot of forestry being planted in deep peats and other sites, um, which is now regarded not appropriate. For example, the flow countries in the 80s. And so it's now uh, woodlands are limited to soils that are less than 500 millimetres of deep peat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now forestry has planted every land available and a lot more they shouldn't have done going the other way. So now it's automatically going to come down on two agricultural land more, unfortunately, to fit that remit. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of the grant schemes are financially there is incentive to do it um, because otherwise farmers wouldn't consider it. In terms of recent Scottish policy, you know, Scottish government and and Scotland more generally um, has done a lot of woodland planting and and it is something that we should be 
very pleased with. Can you just give us an overview of, of what has been achieved in terms of planting rates and, and where you think things are going to go? Planting targets in the last couple of years, they've hit their target. Um, but that target of 10,000 hectares a year been planted. But that target was originally started in 2006, seven, And since they've only just hit their target. Now, it depends on government policy, depends on funding and how it progresses forward. Before last year, the focus has been on more native planting species, so it hasn't really helped with timber industry. And now we're starting to see more conifer species being planted again, which is beneficial for the timber industry. But currently, the last couple of years, about a third of the planting has been done as uh, native birdleaves or native species. We know that as climate change climbs the political agenda and the agricultural agenda, that tree planting is, is something that's going to be encouraged on farms across Scotland. Is there a conflict there, David, between commercial timber production and your kind of native broadleaf woodland in terms of carbon capture? Or as long as that timber is being used for, for housing, as long as you're locking in the carbon, is, is it not an issue? The problem with carbon, it's a lot more straightforward if it's a, a native woodland scheme because mm-hmm. you don't have to factor in the felling and replanting. Okay. Um, so from a foreign, forest carbon perspective, the simplicity of a native scheme is far better and long term, it locks up carbon long term. But then you could also argue fast growing conifers lock up carbon, a lot more carbon. But the problem is they will get felled. Yeah. Only a certain amount of that timber go towards houses and such like. A lot of it will be going to for paper and such like. So potentially paper could get recycled. But if it goes to, for example, biomass, um, then it's pretty much lost straight away. Um, and the argument is uh, felling 50-year-old trees and then replanting with young trees is not... It's hard to work out how much carbon a new tree replaces with an old one. Mm-hmm. So, David, when when you're looking at the, the farmed upland environment, when you're looking at a scalp of rough hill um, or some, some moorland out there and a client approaches you and says that they would be interested in doing some woodland planting, what's the first thing that you think about when you're evaluating the, the merit of a, a planting scheme? The first thing I would ask is how big an area it is and then for them to provide me a map of the area so then I can do an initial check on um, listed habitats and such like and then potential what tree trees would grow because there's a criteria that the trees have to be grow a certain rate mm-hmm. to be allowed for a grant um, and then progressing on to that I would do an indicative cash flow for the client of roughly what cost there would be potentially for them and whether or not it does break even because the fundamental concern for most farmers is is it financially viable do you find that the majority of clients that approach you are prepared to set aside a lot of ground or or are you finding that it is bits and pieces here and there a lot of shelter belts and things like that generally it depends on the client if they're still active farmers it's smaller areas but it depends on what area you're in. There's a Central Scotland Green Network, Green Network um, which covers the large area between Ayrshire's across to 
Fife, which gives a top-up grant, and that helps for smaller schemes. But then for more value for money, the squarer the block, the better. Yeah. Because um, yep. it's more just basically more efficient. So with, with that in mind, David, what are some pitfalls that you will look out for when you're looking at a planting scheme? What, what should people be wary of and, and what isn't suitable to plant on? There's two criteria which aren't really suitable to plant on is areas of deep peat, which are greater than 500 millimetres, and um, shallow soils. So you're looking at 300 millimetres or less. Having a lot of shallow soils you can have small areas of shallow soils, but there is a risk potentially, like the spring we had, that those soils will dry out considerably. And so there is a risk of huge losses, potentially, and huge costs of replant. Um, Scottish forestry are less keen on large areas of very shallow soils being planted for that very mm -hmm. reason. And with, with Brexit on the horizon, David, in, in whatever form that it comes, do you think that there will be an increased focus on woodland planting or where do you see things going in the next kind of five years? It's hard to say. Who knows what the agricultural subsidy is going to be like? Um, and that's, I would have said, what would sway a client one way or another. I've had a couple of clients being in touch saying, looking at the woodland options for the whole farm um, and the viability, because just to see what the options would be depending on what happened with the uh, single farm payment and agricultural mm -hmm. subsidies. But I think the thoughts, the question mark still hangs over what will continue after 22 agricultural wise. Um, yeah. Whether or not sheep farmers, sheepland hill farmers, which you would consider where a lot of new forestry would potentially be, would they get huge subsidies? Um, it just depends. And un understandably, some people will look at woodlands and think, yeah, that, that, that's great, but they don't want monoculture. How sympathetic are you, are you to, to that, David? O obviously, commercial forestry has to have a degree of uniformity to it, but what's out there to prevent monoculture within forestry? Well, with the grant scheme currently itself, um, you have to plant, if it's conifer, you have to plant two or more species. Okay. Um, and then you also have to include 10% of native broadleaves uh, and some open ground as well. I've had a query from a neighbour recently of a scheme I did, and they were wanting it a more of a mixed planting scheme with several different conifer species. And as I explained to them, that's possible. But the problem is you're planting it for timber. Um, so if you're mixing trees of different growth rates, it gets more challenging what to do with it long term. So, for example, Sitka spruce, you're potentially talking rotation of 40 years. You could mix it up with another species like Douglas fir with the rotation length of about 45, but you'd be felling it all potentially at 40 years instead of 45, unless you're retaining it to grow longer. Mm -hmm. So it adds another layer of complications to taking out that by retaining it. And then when you're going forward, if you have two species, you end up having doubling the amount of products you end up having. Because some of those uh, species cannot potentially go into the same streams or you want to divide them up. So going forward, it makes life more complicated. Uh, if you were going to do, if the soil was very good and then you were in a lowland valley, you could potentially 
have more than two species growing, but the issue with that is you would potentially keep them going for a long period of time. So what you've probably heard is um, continuous cover forestry, which basically you're only thinning, you're constantly thinning trees out rather than felling it completely. There is advantages of it is that you only, you're using natural regeneration instead of tree planting, so your costs are lower, but then your management costs are higher because it's more down to the individual tree rather than the, the block itself. You're ideally looking for tree species that grow at a similar rate, because, for example, uh, if you grow uh, Sitka spruce with Scots pine, rotation length of Sitka spruce is about 40 years. Scots pine, you're looking at 70 plus. Um, you're going to fell it all pretty much at 40 years. The problem is your timber quality of the spruce, which is more valuable, will be a lot more branchier and so less worth a lot less. David? When it comes to uh, to species selection in a woodland, what goes into that? What what is the decision making process there? If it's broadleaf, if it's native broadleaves, it it's worked on the National Vegetation Classification. So you're okay. working on basically your atypical native broadleaf types. So you get a lowland oak or an upland birch, um, and they're all sort of rated, for example, like that. Uh, when you're talking more conifer species, it's done on soil. Have um, soil if it's a really wet soil, if it's a dry soil. Um, how fertile it is depends on what species you go for. Um, the main reason why you will see Sitka spruce a lot is a because it grows the quickest, and so the client returns their money quickest, and it's also can be used in quite a wide variety of soils and sites. Good. David, moving back to, to policy a little bit, sheep and trees, has that worked as a, a Scottish government policy? Is that something that you've been very involved in? I've had one or two queries about it, um, but it's only when the client hears that the spacing is very still quite tight and in the end it would potentially end up as a woodland. Um, okay. Usually clients are looking for five or six trees spread out across the whole field where the sheep and tree initiative is a lot denser than that it's you're looking at eight meter spacings or five meter spacings and in the end when it's that tight it's going to end up as a woodland and um, they'll also the other problem with sheep and trees is when you start stacking up the costs financially it's just not viable what uh, what kind of support is there out there david for clients who want to look at something like shelter belts or, or a riparian buffer strip, kind of moving away from plantation woodland to uh, to kind of more amenity stuff? There is potential, but if it's shelter belts, the problem is they tend to be long. Um, your minimum width is 15 metres wide. Okay. So option-wise, you'd be better at about 20 metres, just to give you a bit of leeway. Atypically, they're double-fenced. So your capital costs are extremely high, which has been an ongoing issue because um, Scottish forestry have insisted schemes greater than £6,000 a hectare. I have not been getting through, but that's changed recently. If it's an active farmer, okay. they'll accept that. But the other issue is with that is the budget for schemes with £6,000 a hectare or more is very small compared to just general woodland schemes. Moving forward into the future, David, I know you 
kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. What would you like to see on a policy front going forward? What would encourage more woodland planting, in your opinion? It's it's finding that the thing that I think would be better is finding that niche between agriculture and forestry. Because people are always coming to you to ask about uh, shelter belts or smaller areas or large large amount of small areas. But the currently, those just do not stack up financially. They're not just financially viable. Even if you do take into account a potential higher grant rate, then it just doesn't stack up financially. And generally, people were not keen to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of linking in forestry more with agriculture uh, and merging them more together. And that's where you'd get it, I think. I, I do know that under the, the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme, something like small-scale woodland planting is encouraged and included as, as part of that. And it would cover areas up to, I think it's about a quarter of a hectare. Do you see any scope in something like that? Yeah, I do. It, so, so that fills a niche because forestry grants cover down to 0.25. So it's just basically filling that niche between. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's how a farmer works those areas in and do they retain their single farm payment on those areas as well. Yeah. Um, it's trying to work out what is best for the client and sort of working out the designs. For example, I had a client was looking for a shelter belt. Sitka spruce is probably the most optimum species because it grows quickly and it's a conifer, so it provides shelter quite quickly. But you can't, it has, the area planted has to be two hectares or greater. For okay. you're allowed to be, it's one of the requirements for the grant scheme. It has to be designed in such a way that you hit the two, two hectare target. Um, and if you're looking for long, narrow shelter belts, you could potentially get there if it's long and there's a large amount of it, but there's a greater chance of you not reaching that two hectare limit. Um, and then you've got the knock-on effect is potentially you're looking at double fencing it. Um, mm-hmm. And so your capital costs, as you get paid per linear metre for fencing, are you're within the six thousand pounds or hectare or greater zone? David, we know that planting woodland can be quite contentious sometimes, particularly on your better quality region one ground. Have you ever come across a, a conflict like that? And what would you say? What what would your advice be to the client who's maybe considering planting the better ground on his farm and it's it's not going down well? Um, well, forestry is allowed to be planted on grade four land or above um it's could potentially get planted on grade three but you need approval from the agricultural department generally with some schemes scottish forestry has required me to speak to the agricultural department to get approval if it's into silage fields and such like and they've quite happily approved but it's it's a balancing act and at the end of the day it's more to do with the farmer and what works with them rather than what their neighbors think David, we know that on the continent, agroforestry is quite a popular activity. Do you think there's any scope for for increased agroforestry on um, Scottish farms? Is it something that just wouldn't work here? Agroforestry, you're looking at more potentially other crops from trees rather than timber. Um, Mm -hmm. I know a company that were growing raspberries. Uh, We're also experimenting in planting cherries between the crop uh, between the raspberry canes to give it a bit of diversification and potentially get some a crop off the cherries uh, the problem i think with a lot of scotland 
is the better land to grow sort of that sort of product are your higher quality or arable fields. And so it complicates harvesting cereal crops and such like on those fields because you have trees growing. Um, a lot of and the history in Scotland and the UK, there isn't much history of using that sort of technique, where in France there is um, a lot more of that sort of uh, happens. So um, I think I would have said no more, less likely to. Potentially, if the weather starts increasing or the dryness gets a bit worse and worse and worse, potentially forestry could be added in to retain more of the moisture in the soil, but it's still unknown at this point how effective it will be, or it will be potentially effective, but um, how much of an uptake you'd see. And uh, David, I, I know a, a lot of farmers out there will have existing woodland on their farm and be thinking, do you know what? I might just put the cows in there or um, I might just throw the sheep in to, to graze it down. What kind of considerations should farmers be thinking about before going ahead and, and, and putting stock in a field? With trees? Yes. Yeah. Um, generally, they need to be careful of any damage they cause to the trees and that's the main fundamental a lot of the grant schemes allow animals to be added underneath the canopy of the trees as long as the trees are not damaged if you are going so potentially sheep would be better than cattle um in a younger age crop but you're best to i would said experiment in the small areas first see damage and then also consult potentially with a forestry consultant or an an agricultural consultant to see would that be acceptable to the grant scheme? Because you need to remember the current grant scheme contract is 20 years. So if you get damage within that 20 years, potentially you could be liable at some grant repayment. And when you say damage, David, what what specifically do, do you mean? Are, are you talking about you know a cow maybe rubbing up against a tree and, and knocking a young tree over, um, or can it be something like taking the bark off a tree? What, what what in terms of damage are we talking about? Generally, damage I would consider it's killing the tree. So you're so rubbing up a tree is fine, but um, I've seen a crop of orchard trees that have been completely debarked from sheep because uh, it was a deep snow and the only thing they had to eat was the trees. Uh, so in that circumstances. But there's advantages on having conifer is as well, where the cows would be able to go underneath the conifers and there would be no snow. Um, but it's it's the balancing act to maintain everything in sync rather than having one detrimental to the, the opposite. Great. Great. And uh, David, we're going to have um, uh, a representative from SNH take some of our questions in an upcoming podcast. Um, and one of the things I'm hoping to discuss with them, uh, we're, we're going to look at uh, management on uplands for hen harrier, um, as well as the Muirburn Code and alternatives to, to muir burning this year. What can forestry do in terms of mitigating any kind of conflict with biodiversity interests on a hill? It's a very good point. Um... Depending on what the hill's like, depends on if there is any biodiversity interest. So if something's been semi, if something's been improved naturally, uh, if it's been improved man-made, then there's less potential about biodiversity. Atypically, if there is concerns about biodiversity, uh, Scottish Forestry will insist a phase one habitat survey gets done, um, and then 
potentially a breeding bird survey gets done. Um, those consultations are generally done with SEPA, SNH and RSVB. So they typically will highlight if the area is particularly good for, for example, hen harriers. And then they would ask a requirement that a hen, hen harrier survey get done to see if the area is used for feeding grounds for the hen harriers. And um, using hen harriers as an example here, what kind of limitations are there to planting potentially on a designated site? Generally planting on a designated site, you would need to have an early conversation with SNH um, officer to see if it was even feasible um, and take it from there. Um, it would be something in my one of my initial checks would be to see if it was a designated site and then that would flag up make the client aware that this is a designated site. One of the things that are not allowed, as it says, is planting trees. So you just need to have a conversation with SNH and see the viability of it. And uh, David, maybe something a little bit different here. How much of an issue are invasive species like um, grey squirrel in Scotland? Um, grey squirrels are generally a problem more with broadleaf species of trees. Um, they particularly like beach and sycamore. One of the areas grant models is to increase productive broadleafs like beach and sycamore and so potentially there would be need for more squirrel control in the future. Um, goshawks and pine martens are quite a good natural control um, and then if you have both of them on the same site then potentially you would not need to do any actual artificial control of the grey squirrel population. The reason I ask is because I know that grey squirrel control is something that's covered under the sustainable management of forests. And I'm just wondering, can you give us an overview of what the sustainable management of forests is meant to achieve? Sustainable management of forests, particularly relating to squirrels, is it's to do with the area grey squirrels approaching in areas of high population of red squirrels. And that's pretty much what it's for. The sustainable management of Forest also covers other aspects like um, replanting costs uh, after felling and also uh, Wyatt Woodlands and Around Town initiative as well. So David, just um, wrapping up here today, are you going to be involved in any other farm advisory service projects in the near future? Um, you know, how, how do people watch out for you and how do people get in touch if they have any inquiries? If people would like to get in touch in any inquiries, feel free to uh, ring me or uh, email me. My email address and phone numbers are on SAC's AIR webpage, if you look for me. We'll be doing another FAS event in September. You and I are going to going to cover riparian planting options. Yes. Um, well, thank you, David, for your time and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, you can call the Farm Advisory Service Advice Line at 0300 323 0161 or email advice at faz.scot.